All right, so all of us enter into relationships with expectations. You may not know that, you may not have thought of that, but every relationship you have, whether it's a marriage relationship, a friendship, or a, at work, or even with your neighbors, there's just, you just have expectations, right? We all have that. I think about that, and again, even with neighbors, I, I think about, you know, there's an expectation that your neighbor will be neighborly, right? That they'll do the right things, that they, you know, that they'll, we treat each other with respect, we take care of our own yard, we don't leave, you know, cars on the, on the grass, and there's all sorts of things. You just have an expectation. You have an expectation that if your neighbor's trees fall down into your yard, that they'll go, you know, come over and clean it up and pick it up, right? That, that's an expectation that you would have of a neighbor. It took me about two weeks to realize that the tree that fell over in my neighbor's yard from my house, I hadn't gone over to take care of. And the guy thought I was on vacation for like two weeks. I finally went out and he thought I was on vacation because it had been two weeks and I hadn't gone over to deal with the tree of my tree. I just have problems with trees. I can't grow fruit trees and all my trees that I do have, they just collapse and fall over. And, and so he just like, he actually thought I was gone because he couldn't comprehend how it was two weeks for me to get my act together to do the neighborly thing. There's an expectation. So if your tree falls over in a neighbor's yard, go take care of it. I gotta tell you, when Heather and I got married, I expected that she would cook, clean, and do laundry. <laughs> what was I smoking? <laughs> I mean, I expected that things, you know, would pretty much be happy and that I'd be happy that the relationship as it came together and even though, you know, we would have challenges in the dating phase, that that would all just kind of go away and that, that I'd live happily ever after. That was my expectation. Heather expected our marriage to, to mirror a Hollywood movie. That our relationship would be this continuous outburst of romance and surprise and intrigue and passion. And it was for a week on the honeymoon <laughs> until we came back and reality set in. Hit us like a ton of, a ton of bricks. One of our fundamental problems is that we expect our marriage or we expect even other relationships to take us a certain place and to be a certain thing, to take us somewhere that it was never designed to take us. I mean, I want you to think about how often expectations have even changed in relationships, how often they've changed in, 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 with men and women, how often they've changed in a, in a marriage relationship. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me? Times have changed. Things are different today than they used to be when it comes to expectations. For example, in Housekeeping Monthly, an article was written on May 13, 1955, in that magazine about a woman's role in the home. Now, maybe you've heard this before. It's interesting, and I'm not going to read it all, but let me read you some of what was written about the expectation of a woman's role in the home. Are you ready for this? 1955. Number one, ladies, have dinner ready. Plan ahead the night before to have a delicious meal ready on time for his return. This is a way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and you're concerned about his needs. 
The prospect of a good meal, especially his favorite dish, is part of the warm welcome that's needed. Number two, ladies, 1955. Prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so that you will be refreshed when he arrives. <laughs> Touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair, and be fresh looking. He has just been with a lot of work-weary people. Clear away the gutter, run a the clutter, run a dust cloth over the tables. <laughs> Here's an interesting one, they're all interesting. Minimize all noise. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all noise of the washer, the dryer, or the vacuum. Encourage the kids to be quiet. <laughs> Next, listen to him. You may have a dozen important things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the time. <laughs> I can't even say some of this out loud. <laughs> Remember, his topics of conversation are more important than yours. <laughs> All right, I'll skip ahead. One more. It's not going to go well if I keep reading these. 1955, last one. Don't ask him questions about his actions or question his judgment or integrity. Remember, he is the master of the house. You have no right to question him. And it ends off May 13th, 1955, Housekeeping Monthly. A good wife always knows her place. Somebody in first service said amen. <laughs> I do not envy that person. It's not going to be a good day. I will not ask you to raise your hands if you think we should go back to that, because that would not be a good day for a lot of people here. But seriously, we listen to that and we think, wow, those expectations are so, of course, unrealistically, unrealistic, but frankly, they're not even right. I mean, it's hard to imagine today that that was what was actually expected at that time in that year. See, our problem is, is that we have expectations and we expect a relationship to take us somewhere that it was never designed or intended to take us. We misunderstand God's purposes for our relationships. Now, you and I can turn to Housekeeping Monthly or Cosmopolitan or Glamour or GQ or People magazines. We could turn to those, or we can, of course, you would suspect this in church, you could turn to God's Word. And it will give us profound insight and wisdom on how to navigate our relationships. You see, if you and I want to be an ideal team player, the language we're using in this series, if you and I want to be relational rock stars, man, then you and I need to align our expectations with what God's expectations would be in our relationships. Man, if you and I can do that, that will save us a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, and we will begin to experience new levels of joy and intimacy in our relationships. If we can begin to align our expectations according to God's word with God's expectations for our relationships. No matter what your status, whether you're married or single, there's so much that we can learn and we can apply from the principles that are found in scripture.
Regarding marriage, Gary Thomas wrote a book, and he called it The Sacred Marriage, and in it he asked a few questions. He asked, what if God didn't design marriage for it to be easy on us? What if God had an end in mind beyond our happiness? Or as the subtitle of his book says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the marriage relationship today, but we're also going to talk about relationship in general, but I'm going to do a lot of marriage illustrations. But I recognize not every person here today is married, but some will be married one day. You'll certainly need this information. Some might want to get married, and you could file this away as well. Some of you who aren't married, you know people who are. And so you can be an encouragement to them, and you can support them and bless them and coach them and help them and, and motivate them. So what we're talking about, what God wants to share with us is, is actually relevant to every person here this morning. And with that in mind, I ask you the question, what is God's purposes for relationships? What is God's purposes for relationships? What are his expectations? Well, I like what John Piper stated in regards to what's the primary purpose of a, of a relationship, of a marriage relationship. John Piper said this, he said, the ultimate thing we can say about marriage is that it exists for God's glory. That is, it exists to display God. All else is secondary. The reality is you could say that about all relationships, can't you? That you could say that our relationships exist to bring glory to God. And we bring glory to God in every single relationship we have. So everything that we're going to talk about here moving forward this morning, this morning really comes under the umbrella of our relationship exists to bring glory to Almighty God. Every action we take, every step we take, every behavior that we exhibit, if we're trying to be a relational rock star, an ideal team player, it's for the purpose of bringing God glory. And in your own spirit right now, I would invite you to just say a prayer before God. Say, God, show me how to bring you glory in my relationships. Show me how to bring you glory in my relationships. Well, what does that look like? Let me throw out just a couple this morning, a couple thoughts to you. The first is this, as an ideal team player is going to pursue a dependence on God in their relationship or their relationships. You are going to pursue this desire to be dependent on God. Let me take you there over the next few minutes to lead you to what I'm talking about. So let's kick off with Genesis chapter 2, set the tone for this. So if you haven't turned there yet or if you haven't went on your phone to the YouVersion Bible app, Go to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 18. What's going to happen? We're going to notice, if you look through Genesis, the first book of the Old Testament, we discover that God created. And we discover that God created the heavens and the earth and the land and the sea and the animals. And he would finish each section of his creative narrative, and he would say this. He would say, it is good. God would look at what he created, and he'd say, it is good. And then God created man. And then it's interesting what God says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be what? For man to be alone. God says, I've created everything, and it's amazing, and it's good, and it's wonderful, and I've created man, but one of the problems is it's not good 
if he's alone? So God says, what's my solution? Verse 18, I will make a helper suitable for him. Genesis 2.22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. In other words, we discover that the marriage relationship, it exists for the purpose of companionship, for mutual help and support and encouragement. And then after that, God, after God created woman, Adam said something very interesting, verse 23, he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, there's this chemistry that's going on between the two. There's a connection between the two. And here's God's commentary about this creation. That when he said, I'm going to create a helper that's suitable, because it's not good for him to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. All of this, God says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is, and I want to say this word together because it's critical for us to understand God's purposes for relationships. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is what? And is united to his wife and they become one flesh. You see, God created the marriage relationship. God created the marriage relationship and it was meant to be a partnership between one man and one woman, period. That's God's design, between one man and one woman. But the problem is, he said, I created you and I want you to be unified and I want you to be one together. I want you to be one flesh. I want you to be one with your partner. But, you, but men and women are so radically different. Right, and we've talked about that, and we, we talked about that a few weeks ago, and we just kind of keep bringing that back up because it's important to remember we're different, we're different, we're different. We're created uniquely different. And, and, and we talk about, I mean, we gotta laugh about that, we gotta celebrate that, we gotta enjoy that and not be frustrated by it. I mean, God just made male and female differently. It's like the guy who was walking down the road and he found a lamp laying on the ground, and so he picked it up and he rubbed it and out popped a genie. And the genie said, what would you like? Get, ask for anything and I'll give you a wish. I'll give you your wish. And the man said this. He said, man, I have always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm afraid to fly and I'm afraid of heights. Can you just build a road, build a highway from California to Hawaii? And the genie thought about it and he's like, man, that's going to take a lot of time, and I, I can't really be out of my bottle very long. And I mean, there's gonna, that's a lot of work, and it's a lot of concrete and a lot of footings. I mean, that's going to be hard to put all that together. I'll tell you what. Make any other request, and I'll give it to you. The guy thought about it for a while, and he said, all right, well, then can you explain my wife to me? And the genie said, how many lanes do you want for the highway? <laughs> I, I know it's silly, but the point is men and women are just different, and they come from different places, and they have different expectations of a relationship, and yet God has said, I want the two to come together to be one flesh, to be unified, totally different, and yet unified as one. So think about it. You're meant to be one with another person. You're meant to be unified with another person, and yet you're totally different, and you have, as a result of all that, you have different expectations, and so it's in this pursuit of oneness. It's in the pursuit of unity 
That's where we truly learn to depend on God in our relationship. It's in the pursuit of that oneness, in that unity, that's where you and I learn to depend on God. Because I don't know about you, but I find that, that my marriage with Heather has forced me to become a less selfish person. My relationship with Heather has forced me to love when I don't always want to love. It forces me to serve when I don't always want to serve. It forces me to forgive when I don't always want to forgive. It forces me to meet somebody else's needs when I just want to, like, go back to 1955. <laughs> it forces me to truly depend on God in the marriage relationship because I'm presented with a choice with all that the relationship has required of me. Where am I going to turn to? Where am I going to lean? I mean, I need support and I need help and I need encouragement. And guess who wants to be that for you? Your heavenly father. And so the relationship teaches me to depend on God to be my strength. The relationship helps me learn that my dependence is on God, and as I seek to be one with the other, I keep God at the very center of that oneness. I seek a dependence on God with my partner together. This whole marriage relationship, the reality is, is God loves the marriage relationship. He loves the image of it. He loves the picture of it for us because it's a great way to describe this relationship that God wants to have with us. And all throughout Scripture, God uses the marriage image, the picture, analogy, illustration, metaphor to describe the relationship that God wants to have with us. He does it throughout the Old Testament. When he gets to the New Testament, Jesus is actually called the groom. And, and, and the people who follow Jesus are called the bride. The church, us, collectively, we're called the bride of Christ. In the last days, Revelation 19, verse 7, it says, be prepared to go to the wedding celebration of the Lamb. That we, the, the, the bride of Christ, are to go to that wedding celebration with Jesus. God actually tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that marriage, when understood and marriage, when lived out correctly, it's a picture of how Jesus wants to relate to you and I. We think about the marriage relationship and what it's meant to be, how God intended it. That's a picture of how Jesus wants to relate to you and I. That Jesus desires actually to be that close to us, that unified with us, to be at one with us. See, that's how much we matter to Jesus. In Ephesians 5, he says it this way, five, chapter 5, verse 31, it says this, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are, let's say the word together, the two are what? The two are united. united. There's that word again. We're united into one. And then I love what Paul does. He explains this to us. He says, this is act, verse 32. This is actually a great mystery, Paul says. But this marriage, this united as one, is that, look at what Paul says. It's actually an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. It's as if God uses this language of marriage to let us know as we become one in a marriage relationship with one another, so God wants to become one with us. 
as we have a dependence or an interdependence upon our spouse, so we have a dependence or an interdependence upon God. And so I want to ask you this week, what is that going to look like for you? How is it that you need to pursue a dependence on God in your relationships? If you're married, let's talk about that. What does that look like for you? If you're married, how do you pursue a dependence on God in that relationship this week? You're not married. You have relationships with others. How can those relationships teach you and show you how you're going to depend on God? What's that step that you need to take? There's another purpose to pursue when it comes to understanding God's expectations and what God desires for us. And another ideal team player, relational rock stars, pursue bringing happiness to another. Bringing happiness to another. As my good friend Lino says in regards to his wife, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Some of you have that in your home. You, you, get, that, you get that saying. Now, let's be totally real for a second. We all want to be happy, don't we? I know you're in church and you're hesitant to say that because there's been this doctrine, this teaching that, oh, I can't really use the word happiness in church. I'm supposed to use, you, what's the word, what's the, what do people do these days? Like, ah, I don't know if I can be happy. I'm supposed to be what? I'm supposed to have what? Joy. <laughs> Look, everybody's like, yeah, joy. Happiness, that doesn't sound very biblical. Joy, I'm supposed to have joy. Happiness is circumstantial, and joy is, you know, what comes deep from within. And we, we've heard that. We've preached, people preach that. I've preached it. But you know what? I've been doing a study. I've been studying up on happiness in scriptures. And once I complete my study on this, I, I'm pro most likely very soon going to do a series on it. Scriptures actually, it's very interesting what the Bible says about happiness. Uh, we're not going to dive into it this morning, but just believe it or not, happiness is not out of the realm of what God desires for us in our relationships. The problem is this. The problem is that most of us, by our selfish nature, we desire that the other person would make us happy. But scripturally, as you look at what God desires for us, it's about bringing happiness to somebody else. In other words, it's not about receiving happiness. It's about giving happiness to another. If you're still in Genesis, flip over a couple books to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. And we get this incredible little nugget about relationships. Deuteronomy chapter 4 uh, excuse me, chapter 24, Deuteronomy 24, verse 5. And here's what it says. It says, if a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he's to stay at home. And he is to bring what? He is to bring? Let's say it again. He is to bring? He is to bring? Happiness to the wife he is married to. God's literally saying, hey, when you get married for the first year, for the first year of your marriage, I don't want you to go off to war. I don't want you to take on extra duties. I don't want you to be too busy. I want you to be home and spend time with your new bride and bring her happiness. Marriage and family therapists in the modern era are confirming this. Something that God said thousands and thousands of years the wisdom and the insight of that, modern-day therapists are, are, are confirming it. They have discovered that it's the first year of marriage 
That is critical. One person said this, one therapist said this, said the first year as, is the wet cement year. What do they mean? It's the wet cement year because it's a time when both members of a couple figure out how to live as partners without getting stuck, without developing bad habits that might trap them later. It's a time to, listen to this, to establish good patterns and ways of being together that should continue for the rest of your marriage. That first year is critical, and God understood that. And God said this, don't miss what he's saying. Happiness is not about what you get. Happiness is about what you give. And he commands the husband, he says, I want you to give happiness. I want you to bring happiness to your wife. Do what it takes to make her happy. Have you figured that out yet? Do what it takes to make her happy. I think we've all been there at some point, and maybe we're still there today. When I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with Heather, I spent about $2,000 on a diamond. And to this day, I still try to remember, I have no idea where I got the money. I was a poor college kid, but somehow I had 2,000 bucks. And so I bought her, this, I bought this diamond, spent the money, but the diamond never came. It's a long story, I shared it years ago, but basically I got scammed. Money gone, poor college student, no money. So it came time for the proposal. I had the, you know, the little ring, but I had nothing in the ring. We head down to the jetty in the Data Point Harbor in Southern California, and the diamond's not in the ring. So we're out there, and we're sitting on this bench, and I make my way down to a knee. You know, there's a violinist playing off in the distance. <laughs> the sun is setting. As I get down on a knee, because I have no diamond in the ring, I have it in the box still. <laughs> and so I go, will you marry me? <laughs> Close it. <laughs> and she's blown away. She, I mean, we didn't talk about it a lot, so she didn't know it was coming that day. And so it was a surprise. And she was blown away. And she was happy and tears of joy and, you know, saying yes. And so we're sitting there, give each other hugs. And violinist is playing. Sun is setting. It's a one, it's picturesque. It's amazing, you know. All this is happening. And then we're sitting there. And a few minutes later, she goes, hey, let me see the ring. <laughs> and I'm like, babe, it's not important right now. We're getting married. <laughs> She kind of looks at me, like, she's like, let me see the ring. I was like, it's in the box. We're good. We're good. Let me see the ring. So I said, well, let me explain something to you. And she just looked at me, and I mean, she knew something was coming at that moment. So I explained the story to her, and she still agreed to say yes. <laughs> What's interesting is that in those early days of our relationship, all that I wanted to do was to make Heather what? To make her happy. It's all I wanted to do. What I wasn't thinking was, I bought a ring, got scammed, you know, I'm not going to buy her another diamond, you know, because, because it's the thought that counts. That didn't cross my mind. I didn't say, let's go get a cubic zirconia. That didn't cross my mind. I didn't follow the advice 
of an article in Forbes magazine. You ready for this? It was entitled this, Why Smart People Buy a Cubic Zirconia. <laughs> I didn't follow that advice. I didn't care about being smart. All I cared about was making Heather happy. happy. So all I could think about is what do I need to do? What do I need to buy? Borrow, beg, steal, not steal, but barter. <laughs> what do I need to sell? What do I need to do to get her that diamond to make her happy? It's that desire to make another person happy at all costs, and it cost me, and I've ended up finding a way, and so that was one expensive diamond for a kid. I did whatever it took, whatever it cost me, to make her happy. And in the early days of a marriage, that's everybody's desire. And if we're not careful, that'll slip. And if we're not careful, we get to the point where it's no longer a concern of ours to make them happy. And we somehow make a shift to wanting them to make us happy. I want you to think about this for a moment. When you choose, if you're married and you choose to bring happiness to your spouse, you're actually obeying God, Deuteronomy 24, the commandment of God. If you're not married, but you're, you, know, you say, I want to make other people happy, you're honoring God. Man, when you buy your wife flowers and she lights up with joy and she's happy, Man, you're obeying God. You're honoring God. When you come home at night, and if, if she's somebody who works, you know, not outside of the home, but she works inside of the home raising kids, and if you come home and you say, honey, I know you had a long day with the kids, and I know you've worked really hard. You know what? I'll watch the kids tonight. I'll take care of them. I'll make dinner. I'll do the dishes. I'll, I'll do the homework with them. I want you just to go the rest of the night. Take a bath. Relax, Calgon, take me away. Some of you know that reference if you're old enough. <laughs> Go do it. Let me ask you, for most spouse ladies, is that going to make them happy? Yeah, you bet. And when you do so, you honor God. Ladies, when she praises, when you praise him publicly, when you cheerlead him in front of other people, you're making him happy and thus you're honoring God. Ladies, when you plan a special evening with your husband, you know what I'm talking about? You plan a, you know, a sexual experience with you and your husband. Man, you're making him happy and you're honoring God. Now, if you will follow my two examples that I've mentioned, or these examples that I've mentioned, if you're married, and you will choose to follow the, that this week, there's going to be a lot of baths taken, a lot of dishes washed, and a whole lot of sex going on with the LightPoint family. <laughs> Can I say that in church? <laughs> Just, I didn't know how that would go, because first service, there wasn't any laughter. <laughs> So I know what's not happening in those homes. <laughs> Whether you've been married a month, uh, Eric and Melissa Frizzi, are they here? They're, I don't see them here today. They're working this morning. Whether 
they've only been married, Eric and Melissa have been married a month, or whether you've been married for 40 or 50 years, here's your homework this week. Ask your partner this question, what is something that I can do to bring you happiness? What is something that I can do to bring you happiness? Then you will have your marching orders for this week. All of our relationships are meant to bring glory to God. And if you and I will pursue bringing glory to God in our relationships, it's going to cause us to live differently. It's going to cause us to live in sacrificial ways for the benefit of others because you're going to learn to depend on God as you try to seek to give. As the New Testament talks about submit to one another, talks about dying to yourself. As you learn to do that, you will learn to depend on God more and more. As you seek to honor God by, and bring glory to God by bringing the other person happiness, that'll cause you also to lean and press more into a relationship with God. What step or steps is God calling you to take this week in your relationship or your relationships? What is God calling you to do to be a relationship rock star? Depend on him as you seek to sacrificially give yourself to bring happiness to another.